friend who, when she was young, experienced abuse in the home. Um, I won't say much more about that other than it was the kind of abuse that took years uh, to work through and even forgive. She carried this pain around for years. What, what happened to her as a child followed her into her college years. And then a few things happened uh, in college that took her to um, a breaking point. She started to see a counselor because of that, and, and she was expecting to work through some of those current events in her life. But she realized after the journey began that, that much of the pain and frustration and uh, depression that she was working through, it, it reached all the way back to, the, uh, back to when she was a child. Things she could never face before because they were too painful, um, they started to resurface. And the journey uh, for her to find healing began. Uh, she was sitting with a counselor uh, once, and, and they were talking about this past hurt, and the counselor uh, said some interesting things about forgiveness. The counselor said to her, you don't have to forgive him. Um, it's not something you might expect from a counselor or in a series on forgiveness where I've been trying to make the case that forgiveness is uh, essential, but it's what the counselor said, and this is the crazy thing. It's, it's, it's exactly what she needed. You don't have to forgive him. You see, my friend, uh, for my friend, forgiveness was always something that she felt pressured to do. Uh, pastors would preach on it. Uh, youth groups discuss, discuss it. Passages like the ones we looked at over the last two weeks taught that if you don't forgive, God won't forgive you. And my friend, uh, for my friend, forgiveness became yet just another thing she had to do. Another thing that she had to give her abuser. Another thing that she had to surrender against her will to, to the person she had already given so much to already. Someone who had taken so much already. And to her that she didn't have to, to hear that she didn't have to, that she had some kind of choice in the matter, that she had essentially the power to forgive. Well, that was a game changer. If you've got something big to forgive, something um, heavy, something that you've been carrying for years, and you've felt pressure from others to forgive, and you, you're like, I can't do it, and you're hearing these sermons on forgiveness and you're thinking, you know what, this is not for me. My friend sent me this email. In fact, I reached out and I asked, you know, for her perspective on forgiveness. She said, you know, people who have been wounded terribly don't like to be told about forgiveness. I used to be one of those. I didn't resent being taught about forgiveness. I just felt like my situation was different. I didn't feel that the usual teachings really applied to me. If you relate, you're not alone. Later on, my friend uh, ended up forgiving her abuser, and, and I'll share that part uh, near the end of the sermon. But for now, I want to say this. Forgiveness is hard to talk about, and it's hard to teach on. Because this thing that we call forgiveness, it's the same word we use when we're talking about someone who cut us off in the road when we're out driving. It's that same thing, you know, when you forgive them. But it's the same thing you talk about when, you, when you're talking about a pastor or a father or an uncle who's abused us. And it's good, it's good for us to forgive in both situations, but those aren't the same thing, are they? Now, whatever has happened to you, whether it's big or small, whether it's heavy or light, forgiveness can be hard. So today I want to talk about how we can move towards forgiveness, especially when it's hard. 
I'll be start by sharing some practical tips, but in the end, I'm going to share what I think is the, the essential trick to the magic of forgiveness, the thing that you really need to forgive when it's hard. We'll get to that. But first, I want to share a few practical points first. They come from a diff- couple different sources. So one I pull from extensively is an article from the Greater Good Science Center's uh, article called The Eight Keys to Forgiveness. It's also based on a book by the same title. Um, I also pull from some conversations that I've had with people who've really struggled to forgive, um, uh, and, and but ultimately found healing. And then also the books that I mentioned in previous weeks, which I'm willing to share if you're interested. And then, of course, I'm going to pull from a handful of scripture passages that talk about forgiveness and grace. Now, some of these might not be helpful given your unique journey. They might not apply. And some might apply, but not you might not be ready to hear them, and that's okay. I'll add that if you're struggling with this, Uh, You don't have to struggle alone. My friend said that she'd love to chat with someone if they need it. Um, If you've experienced abuse, uh, here's somebody that'll talk with you. Our mental health team would love to help you get connected to a counselor. And we'll even cover the first couple of sessions. And I'd love to chat with you as your pastor as well. So let us know. With that, here are just a couple of ideas that might help all of us move towards a more forgiving and grace-filled life, uh, even when it's hard. Ways for us to become more forgiving. Here's the first one. The first idea around helping us be more forgiving is uh, accept forgiveness. Theologically speaking, this is the first step to forgiveness. We are able to forgive others because God has forgiven us. There's a good reason why this is where we start. Jesus once had an encounter with a woman at a dinner party. He's, he's seated with all these important people, and they're all dressed up and proper and powerful. And in walks this woman of the street. She goes to Jesus, and she starts to wash his feet and act of the lowest of servants. But everyone is disgusted that she's doing that. Even though it's a role for the lowest of servants, they think it's still too high of an honor for her. Who is this Jesus that would let this woman wash his feet? And they, say, they basically say as much, and Jesus kind of hears this and picks up on it. So he tells them a, a parable, one of his parables on forgiveness. And uh, he tells a story about two people who have debts. One owed a lot and one owed just a little. And both debts are forgiven. And so he asks the crowd, uh, that are the, the groom of people, he says, who would be more grateful? Who would be happier? Um, when their debts were forgiven, the one who owed a bunch or the one who owed just a little bit. And they're like, well, you know, the one who, uh, who was forgiven a lot. And so this is what he says, Luke chapter 7, verse 47. He says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. He says the one who's been forgiven of uh, much, who hasn't been forgiven for very much, loves little, which implies that if you have been forgiven a lot, you'll be all the more grateful and filled with grace and have the ability to love others. I I encountered this verse in a very real way when I was young. My brother, my oldest brother, um, spent a lot of time in, uh, spent some time, not a lot of time, about a year in prison. And while he was there, he, he um, gave his life to God again, and he turned his life around, and he came out of prison a different person. And I noticed the change. As a, as a high schooler, I noticed the change. And one of the things I noticed is he had so much grace for people. Some of the, you know, the worst people, um, uh, the, the people who'd always get in trouble or, or cause problems, he had grace for them. And it was very confusing because I'd always lived where, you know, with a little bit of a judgmental streak. 
Um, and people that I always judged, he would just kind of forgive from a distance. And, and, and this became his thing, his mantra. And I remember him pointing this verse out to me as I wrestled with what it means to have grace and forgiveness for others. And I remember this sort of phrase being said, either I was rolling around in my mind a lot or if it was said a lot in, in conversation. But, but, you know, when you know what it's like to mess up, um, it's so much easier to have grace for people who've messed up. And it became this theme of my early days of following Jesus. The one who is forgiven much loves much. I almost to the point where I wanted to be forgiven for more, which is maybe the wrong motivation here. But the one who is forgiven much, who the one who the way one way to find it easier to forgive other people is to ponder, to reflect, to wrestle with the forgiveness that you've been offered. Because forgiveness, the kind we receive and the kind we give changes us. Forgiveness we receive becomes a currency, so to speak, that we can spend it on others who need it. We receive forgiveness from God as a, as an econ- in this economy of grace. <laughs> we receive forgiveness in God like it's a currency, and then we use it like money on other people. We can give it away. And those who truly messed up and have turned around and found forgiveness, they're, they're rich in forgiveness and can offer it freely. One way to find forgiveness uh, easier to spend is to spend time that reflecting on forgiveness you've received. Here's another idea. Accept forgiveness. Uh, practice forgiveness. Experts suggest that forgiveness is something that can become easier the more you do it. That it's a skill that you can learn and you can improve on. You become more forgiving the more you forgive. Well, I'm not I'm sure that the Bible kind of teaches this in a subtle sort of way around what it means to be a disciple and to learn practices and become uh, to to learn discipline. Um, I, I am reminded of one passage. Jesus was teaching his disciples all about what it means to be re- reconciled to one another um, after a harm has been done, and he mentioned this. Uh, pr- we mentioned this principle last week. You can read about it in Matthew chapter 18. Well, Peter, one of Jesus's disciples. Uh, follows this teaching up with a question. He says this, Then Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Matthew 18, 21 to 22. In other words, forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. You know, you forgive someone, like, whew, done, did that, got forgiveness, check it off my list. No, it's this lifestyle. And if you've offered forgiveness 77 times, then certainly you would be a little bit more well-versed in forgiveness. It would become something you grew up in. And I have to just pause and say, you know, the reality is, is in our world, we don't practice forgiveness. You know, quite honestly, I was a a young adult before I really experienced forgiveness between me and another person. Uh, My mentor at the time, uh, a fellow pastor, had done something. I don't even remember what he did, Um, but he did something to to hurt me or... uh, it wasn't a big deal. I don't. I honestly don't even remember. But, but he had done something that he felt bad about and felt like he needed to apologize. So he came to me and apologized. And I, I did what many of us do. I just said, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Which is how we love to respond to requests for forgiveness. If they're not big deals, right? If they're, you know, and sometimes even if they are, we still don't want to like truly engage it. So we're just like, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. You know, like these small things, like whatever. And he did something that I wasn't prepared for. He said, no, what I did was wrong. And it would mean a lot to me if you forgave me. Because I was just going to brush it off. I didn't need, and, and honestly, I was going to brush it off because I didn't, I didn't, was co- uncomfortable with that level of vulnerability. 
Um, but he said, no, 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 this, this is something I did, and, and I shouldn't have, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And of course I would, especially in that situation. And so I said, I forgive you. And honestly, here I am, I'm a young adult, I'm already a pastor, and it's one of the first times in my life where I actually remember saying those words. Not, it's okay, not, no big deal, not, don't worry about it, but actually saying, looking at someone in the eyes and saying, I forgive you. Friends, we can practice forgiveness by actually doing it in our life. That when somebody apologizes, we look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you. Now, of course, if you know someone bumps you in the hall, uh, even in the midst of COVID, it might be weird to pull them aside, look them in the eyes and say, I forgive you. But in our uh, relationships with our friends and our spouse and our coworkers, when wrong is done and someone apologizes, we can practice forgiveness by actually forgiving them and letting them know. So that's one way that we can do it. Um, this is how Robert Enrich says in his article, Eight Keys to Forgiveness. He says, if you practice small acts of forgiveness and mercy, extending care when someone harms you in everyday life, this too will help. Perhaps you can refrain from honking when someone cuts you off in traffic or hold your tongue when your spouse snaps at you and extends a huge, uh, extend a hug instead. You know, these little acts of grace, whether you look someone in the eyes and say, I forgive you, or just extend grace to somebody, these strengthen our forgiveness muscles. And sometimes we need to strengthen those muscles for years before we're strong enough to really forgive that big thing in our lives. Here's another idea. Um, practice empathy. Scientists studying forgiveness have found that the brain activity related to forgiveness happens in the same part of the brain uh, where empathy is located. Empathy and forgiveness, as far as the brain is concerned, are connected, which means um, that empathy is an important part of our forgiveness process. If you're struggling to forgive someone, one thing that you can try to do is, is uh, think about them differently. You know, uh, some people suggest, you know, imagine them as an infant in need of care and support and ask the question, did they get that support? As a child, did they have a good home, a good family life, or are there some wounds there? Uh, who, what are those hurts and what are their wounds and who has wronged them? We've all been in, uh, we've all seen people be terrible, whether it's, uh, and do terrible things, whether it's in movies or in real life, uh, celebrities, leaders, public figures. And you can imagine someone right now that you're like, I just think they're the worst person in the world. In fact, take a second, imagine them. I know who comes to mind for me. Uh, maybe it's the same person that comes to mind for you. But I found that when I learn about uh, even just their childhood, and I, I see or I hear things about their family and their parents and, and what their, their, their mother or their father, kind of the pressure or whatever, the conversations, like what their home life was like as a child and what was expected of them. Um, I see, you know, I almost begin to feel sorry for them. Now, this isn't to say that they aren't responsible for their actions in any of these situations, uh, but I can see that uh, some of those actions are coming from or in response to wounds uh, that they haven't dealt with. I was talking with my friend, and she said that for years she could only imagine her abuser as this strong, powerful person who had hurt her, that person who had abused her. But when forgiveness became a part of her story and it became more and more possible, she started to see her abuser in a different way. She realized that in some ways he too was had his own kind of brokenness. Not, in no way does that excuse bad behavior, but it does soften our hearts a little bit. And she started to see that brokenness. And, and, uh, and that was a, an important part uh, or an important result of our forgiveness journey. Here's another idea. 
along those lines, uh, find meaning in your suffering. The article uh, from Eight Keys to Forgiveness says it like this. When we suffer a great deal, um, it is important that we find meaning in what we have endured. Without seeing meaning, a person can lose a sense of purpose, which can lead to hopelessness and a despairing conclusion that there is no meaning to life itself. That doesn't mean we look for suffering in order to grow or try to find goodness in other bad's actions. Instead, we try to see how our suffering has changed us in a positive way. In other words, sometimes it's easier to forgive when we're at a place where we can see the good that's come from our suffering. That doesn't, once again, justify what has, uh, what has been done or who, who did it. But, what, but that when we see the good that's come from it, it becomes easier. Our heart becomes a little softer and we're able to forgive the person uh, for what they've done. This is similar to what we read in scripture. Romans 8.28 says it like this, and we know that, all, uh, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. In other words, we believe that God doesn't rejoice in evil, that God doesn't want us to suffer, but, but that God can take anything what the good and the bad, the hate and the love that we experience, and God can make something good out of it. God can take trash and build a beautiful work of art. God can redeem our past. God can take whatever we have experienced up to this day and take it and transform it and make something good out of it. So if you're struggling to forgive, this might be one way to move towards forgiveness. Uh, or at least open your heart to forgive. When we're able to see and we, we choose to believe that God can redeem our circumstances. Once again, it, it doesn't always make things better, and it certainly doesn't justify what's been done, but it is helpful to know that God could do something with it. So here are some of the tips so far. Uh, accept forgiveness, practice forgiveness, practice empathy, find meaning in your suffering. And then here's the last one uh, before we get to the end. Uh, and one of the more important ones is simply uh, remember that forgiveness isn't about them. Forgiveness isn't primarily for the person you're forgiving. It's for you. My, my friend told me that this was one of the most important revelations in moving towards forgiveness, that she had always looked at forgiveness as one more thing she had to give up or, or surrender to the person who had taken so much already. But, but someone wise told her that it wasn't for her abuser. In other words, forgiveness wasn't letting him off the hook. Forgiveness was letting her off the hook. She didn't have to carry this burden around anymore. Here's how it's worded in the book of Hebrews. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. For unforgiveness, or what we call bitterness, is like a root that can grow up and poison you. Nelson Mandela uh, maybe even pulled from this verse when he, can, when he said his famous quote, which goes like this, Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping it will kill your enemies. Resentment, holding on to unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and hoping it's going to hurt the other person, and it won't. It doesn't. Instead of thinking of forgiveness as something you have to give the other person, think of forgiveness as freedom for yourself. Choosing to forgive re releases you from, from the person who hurt you. Forgiveness 
even just in your heart towards them, releases you from them. It, it's like saying, I'm, I'm finally free from the power you have over me. Henry Cloud and John Townsend in their classic book, Boundaries, says it like this. I'll share a couple quotes real quick. He says, they say, nothing clarifies boundaries more than forgiveness. In other words, forgiveness is one of the greatest boundaries you can set with somebody, which I just love this idea. He says, when you refuse to forgive someone, you still want something from that person. And even if it is just revenge that you want, it keeps you tied to them forever. He goes on to say in, in that same section regarding forgiving a family member, he says, refusing to forgive a family member is one of the main reasons people are stuck for years, unable to separate uh, from their dysfunctional families, because they still want something from them. If you do not forgive, you are demanding something from your offender, um, something your offender does not choose to give even if it's just a confession of what they did. Whatever it is that you're holding out onto, like I want something to be different, I want, I want them to suffer, I want them to confess, I want them to, to admit they're wrong, whatever it is you're holding out on before you'll forgive, you're, you're waiting for them to do something that they may never do. And you stay tied to that person because of it. And for forgiveness becomes freedom. Where you say, I'm out. I no longer expect anything from this person. I forgive them, if only for my own sake, if only because God has forgiven me. So forgiveness isn't about giving yet another thing to someone who has taken so much. It's, it's about letting go of what you've been carrying and allowing yourself to move on, no longer tied to that person in unhealthy ways. So here's what we've offered. Things like accept forgiveness, uh, practice forgiveness, practice empathy, uh, find meaning in your suffering, and, and realize that forgiveness isn't about them. Now, here's the thing. Let me be honest. I was so excited for this series. Uh, I love the idea of forgiveness. It's the crux of our faith. It's what it means to be a Christian. I love God's grace, and I have relied on forgiveness in all of my relationships um, because I tend to mess up. <laughs> and if I'm honest with you, I have far more experienced asking for forgiveness than I have in giving it. That's just been my story. But um, I've studied and researched, and I've listened to stories, and I've read theology, and I think, you know, here's some really great stuff I'm so excited to give you all. And then as I'm writing it, Imagining myself sharing it with you, which I'm doing right now, I honestly get a really sick feeling in my stomach. And it's been this way every week, the last three weeks. I'm just like, something about this isn't right. Um, I just worry that these lessons, even though they're rooted in scripture, um, even though they're pulled from science and research and best practices, even though they're literally about forgiveness. So if I say something wrong, I mean, it's only reasonable for you all to forgive me. Um, even though all of that is true, even though I think they're good ideas and I think they're worth trying or they're worth considering, um, I still get this sick feeling in my stomach because I know that there's a good chance there's someone here and this just doesn't make sense. And they're saying, this isn't for me. And so let me be honest. I don't know if these words are going to do much good for anyone. Uh, if they help, awesome. But for those who they aren't helping, especially for those who are carrying something really big and heavy, I want to say this. Forgiveness 
is a journey, uh, especially the hard kind of forgiveness. It's a journey, and the best resource for a journey isn't some sermon with five points, even if they're true and good and helpful. I just watched um, Lord of the Rings. Some of you might uh, be familiar with that classic story. Others might be familiar and, and uh, think it's the worst thing in the world, but others might be big fans uh, as, the, as the way of the world works. But uh, it is one of the greatest epic journeys of all time. I mean, three massive books, three massive stories that are, are essentially about a person who's going on a journey. And uh, it's about Frodo amongst many other characters. But Frodo, this hobbit, travels hundreds of miles across dangerous territory all the while carrying this uh, magical ring uh yeah i know if you're not a fan you're like um, i was telling my wife i told Alyssa that i was gonna share the story and she started laughing because she thinks this stuff is goofy but you know he's carrying this magical ring and it's but it's such a weight it's such a burden um but if he can get to mount doom uh, and he drops off the ring he'll be free of its power but until then he's just trying to survive he's trying to keep going you know and here's the reality forgiveness as a journey can feel like traveling through these pack waters of mordor to get rid of this burden that weighs you down and i'm over here if that's you i'm over here preaching a sermon it's like frodo here's frodo near the end of the story i mean he's just had the worst journey of his life and he's near the end and i'm over here like hey frodo here are some tips that I found in a few books. I've not been on the journey myself quite like you have, but here's some you know, tips that I found in a few books that I thought might make your journey a little easier. So Frodo doesn't need a sermon. And if you're listening, you're like, man, this is what it feels like. These sermons feel like I'm like in the midst of it and I'm getting like five tips on how to do this better. Like this isn't what I need. I agree. Frodo didn't need a sermon. You might not need a sermon. What Frodo needed was someone to go with him. Frodo needed Sam. Sam was the guy who was there during the entire journey and in the end had to carry Frodo to the finish line. Frodo needed help. And when we're on a hard journey, that's what we need too. And we need someone to walk with us. We need someone to help us move along. We need someone to carry us sometimes. So I know if you're listening and this isn't what you need, what I'm guessing is what you need is, is someone to crawl into the hole with you and sit there until you're able to get out. I think of my friend. Her counselor was able to give her the advice that she needed right, right at the right moment um, that she needed it because she had been walking with her. And my friend also had other friends and, and of course, a counselor and, and even God. In fact, it was the Spirit of God who kind of carried her across the finish line. After being told that she um, didn't have to forgive her abuser, she eventually came to a place where she wanted to. Almost a year passed and she found herself sitting with her pastor talking about what had happened to her as a child. And as she talked, she felt the Holy Spirit fall on her, almost like pick her up and say, it's just made it as clear as day, not in a pushy sort of way, but in a, just in what felt right. It's time. It's time to forgive your dad for what he did to you, for the unspeakable things that he did to you. Spirit said, it's time, and carried her across the finish line, and she did, and she said it was like this burden had been lifted. She, when I was talking to her, she said, um, she said, you know that scene from the classic Grinch where he's trying to hold on to the weight of the sled, and then his heart grows three sizes, he stands up and he lifts the sled up, and the colors are going crazy? She said, 
that's what it felt like. She said, in that moment, I felt taller. Can't get that line out of my head. She felt taller, stronger, you know, like powerful, beautiful. I felt taller. I don't know if anything, uh, these practical tips will actually help, but I do know that a good friend and the right mentor or a good pastor, a listening ear and a, and a counselor who walks alongside you, that typically helps. And I don't know if, if what I say will help, but I know that the Holy Spirit is able to do a miracle in your life, maybe even take some of these words and make a difference in your heart and give your heart three sizes bigger and carry you across the finish line. It might take a journey to get there, but here's what I hope you'll hear. That journey is worth it. No matter how hard, no matter how difficult, it's worth it. It's worth the time and it's worth the work. It's worth the effort. You can feel tall again. You, your heart can go three sizes bigger. You can live free again, truly free. It is possible, so don't give up. Instead, get help. Now, if you feel alone in this, like I've said, reach out. I'm available. Others are available. We'll even help you get a meeting with a counselor. That's why we're here. So please take advantage of it. Now, next week, we're going to switch gears. Um, we're going to look at what it looks like on the other side of forgiveness. Uh, those times when we've messed up, when we've hurt people. What does it look like to apologize, uh, to ask for forgiveness, to admit our faults and to even seek reconciliation. So I hope you'll join us next week as we continue searching for forgiveness. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that, that you have forgiven us and we ask that you give us courage and strength for the journey ahead, especially for those who are wrestling with some big things. Invite us to just take the next step forward, um, whatever that might be that we might reach a place where we can take all of the grace and love that you've given us and find a way to extend it to others, just as you said. In your name we pray. Amen.